Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Why, hello, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you are having an amazing week. And today I want to talk to you. I was actually going to talk to you about this last week, and I think I was actually supposed to talk about it the week before. So from now on, I should just stop telling you what I'm going to be talking about in the future because I never stick with my plans. Well, I normally do, actually. I'm pretty neurotic, but I haven't lately. And actually, my interview with Don Hubner, um, the author of What to Do When You Worry Too Much and What to Do When Your Brain Gets Stuck, I can't interview her next week. So I don't think that's what my podcast is going to be about next week. So I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing in the future. (laughs) That's my new plan. You're not going to know. But I want to spend today talking about one, how do you talk to your children about anxiety? And two, more importantly, how do you figure out their anxiety? So they're kind of two peas in a pod, because if you don't talk to your child about anxiety and about what anxiety is, then you're never really going to find out about what their anxiety themes are obviously, right? And I actually got an email this morning. It was perfect timing. I got an email this morning from somebody, from a listener who said, I don't know how to even talk to my kid about anxiety. Did I miss a podcast somewhere? Have you ever talked about that? And I thought, I'm talking about that today. That's perfect. So, and it was good that she sent me an email and highlighted that because I think I was going to kind of skim over the talking about it component and move right into how to detect the different anxiety themes. And because of that email, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on that beginning part of what do you say to your kids to start? So why is it important to figure out what your child's anxiety is about? Why can't you just be like, you know what, Natasha, I just know they're anxious. Um, They obviously look anxious. They're saying they're scared or they're just refusing to do things. So we just need to figure out how to fix that. I don't really need to fully understand it. Well, Maybe most of you don't have that mentality, which would probably be a good thing because that's not a very helpful, it's not a very helpful mentality to have. And I'll explain to you why. And of course I will talk about me (laughs) and I'll talk about my kids because that's what I seem to do best. So I didn't realize what my own anxiety entailed until I was in my forties and that I haven't been in my forties for too long. So that doesn't say much. I knew I was an anxious kid. I mean, I threw up before any new thing. So first day of school, first day of any kind of activity, first day of camp, always threw up. And I knew I was very socially anxious, but I don't think I would have described myself that way at the time. And I also knew that I stayed up late, late into the night very, very nervous about somebody breaking in. It didn't help that in my little life, we actually did have a home invasion and somebody actually did break into our house while we were all sleeping. So I know I had that anxiety prior to that situation happening, but I know my anxiety was like off the charts after that. So it's hard to flush out like what was an anxiety theme and what was maybe like trauma. Although like we were never hurt or anything. They just came in, took our stuff, took our car and left. (laughs) It's horrible. But I was woken up in the process. And so I was hearing it all. So it was very traumatic, but that's not what this is about. But I, I don't think I would have identified myself as having social anxiety. And I do. I don't even know what the catalyst was for me to fully understand my own anxiety. I mean, I knew I was an anxious person, but as an adult, I think I pretty much thought I had it under control. And then for some reason, once I started writing more about anxiety and teaching more about anxiety, even though I had been in my private practice for probably over a decade before I started writing and doing um, my website and all that stuff. So it wasn't like I didn't do anxiety prior, but I don't know, but some things started to snap for me and I realized, wow, I have major social anxiety, not minor like major social anxiety. And I think when you always think that the world is a stage and everybody's staring at you, as soon as you leave your house, you don't know any different. So I think until 
I got better, which in the last two years, I've fully got rid of the big bulk of my social anxiety. I mean, you can never say fully got rid of anything, but I am so aware of it that I have my own internal battles. Like recently I had to do that Facebook live. If you follow me at all anywhere, you might've gotten an email about it, or you might've seen it, seen me post it. That was like a nightmare. (laughs) That was a nightmare for me because I am very socially nervous because I have a long history of social anxiety. And the idea of being live and talking in front of people virtually was nerve wracking for me. Because what if I say something I don't want? Well, if I say something I don't want to say on here, I just hit the delete button. I go in, I edit it, and then I'm done. It's like not a big deal. So I can kind of polish things up a little bit. But with Facebook Live, you can't do that. So anyway, my whole point to that, and it it turned out fine. You know, what's really ironic is that the universe decided to turn Facebook off while I went on Facebook Live. So it's so bizarre. I mean, I don't I don't remember another time where Facebook actually went offline. So I go on Facebook at like nine o'clock my time and Facebook and Instagram had a glitch and all of Facebook and all of Instagram were down for about 30 minutes and it was the 30 minutes that I spoke. <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, that's completely ridiculous. I don't know what the universe is trying to say on that one, but so a lot of people weren't able to connect and that completely messed up my social anxiety because I'm sitting there talking to the camera and I hate this. It shows you how many people are listening as you're recording. And so I'm seeing like six, seven, eight the entire time. And I'm thinking I suck so bad. Like nobody even wants to hear me talk. And that that narration in my head as I'm trying to talk about, you know, how to help kids with OCD is like in the background and was like really distracting me because I kept thinking like, why isn't anybody coming to hear this? And it turned out afterwards that a lot of people weren't able to get on because Facebook had gone down during that period, which is so bizarre, but it kind of made me feel better. And I am thinking about doing Facebook live again, which just goes to show you that when you do exposure, exposure response prevention, even with anxiety, it does work because I'm not really terrified about Facebook live anymore. The idea doesn't make me want to go and have diarrhea. (laughs) I guess that's not really saying too much, but it's not as bad as I had felt before. So I might do that in my private Facebook group because I, I am not able to really stay on top of my private Facebook group in the way that I want. Like I want to like respond to every single thread, which is completely ridiculous because Nobody can be like that. But um, so I might do Facebook Live once in a while in that group. And if you're not in that group, you should get in that group because that group is great. It is AT Parenting. Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm not even sure. It is AT Parenting Kids with Anxiety and OCD. I always have to go back and look at that because I forget if the OCD or the anxiety is first. So whatever. If you want to find that, you can look in the show notes below this podcast if you are on iTunes, or you can always go to my website at anxioustoddlers.com, and you can look at my links for my podcast and my YouTube channel. But my whole point with myself is that if if somebody had labeled it for me earlier, if somebody had honed in on the fact that I was socially anxious as a child and kept saying, you know, that's your social anxiety making you feel paranoid, but that's not really what's going on. Or, you know, no one's watching you. That's your social anxiety making you think everybody's watching you. I honestly would have been a completely different person. And I think I would have had a completely different life. Not to say, I mean, I love the path that it took me and I love my world. And it's really helpful that I do fully understand anxiety on a really nasty level. It would have been different for me. And we want it to be different for our kids. So Let's talk first about how to address anxiety in general to your children, how to introduce the concept. And then in part two, we'll talk about how to figure out what their anxiety themes are. So the first thing I do with kids who have anxiety, and it really doesn't matter what age they are. This is pretty much how I explain anxiety to any kid is I say, and you want to, and before I go on, you want to say this to your kid before you start trying to figure out what their anxiety is about. Because until you normalize it and you come out with an explanation that normalizes it and makes them feel like they're not a freak, 
they're going to be much more open to telling you what type of anxieties they have. And they may not even after you do this. So we'll talk about that. So what I say to kids is I say, all of us have like a lifeguard in our brain. It's called the amygdala. We all have it. It's looking out for danger and it's helpful. And so if it smells smoke, it'll be like, Hey, I smell smoke. I think you should look into that. Let's go look into that. And it keeps us safe. And when we have anxiety, we have a really bad lifeguard. And so it's constantly telling us, Oh my gosh, be careful for that. You're going to spill it. Oh my gosh, be careful for that. I think that they're trying to hurt you. Be careful for that. I think they're trying to stare at you. And so our lifeguard kind of sucks at its job. And that's not our fault. That's kind of genetic. So it runs in families, just like you could have a pancreas that doesn't really metabolize sugar in the way that it's supposed to. And you can have kids that just grow up and they have diabetes and maybe their mom has diabetes or their grandma has diabetes. It's the same thing for anxiety. Anxiety runs in families. It has a genetic component. And so sometimes we're kind of left with a bad lifeguard. So if you have a bad lifeguard, what do you do with that? Well, the good news is unlike diabetes, there's something that we can do behaviorally and emotionally to train our lifeguard. So what we want to do is we want to train our lifeguard and it depends on the child because sometimes I talk about just crushing our lifeguard. (laughs) I take more of like a violent approach and I talk about just crushing the lifeguard. Normally we call it something like worry cloud or dictator. And we talk about just crushing it and just getting a new one. But in this analogy, I normally stay pretty, pretty even keeled and more on a positive slant. And so I say, we don't want that lifeguard. And so we're not going to get a new one until we get rid of this one. So you can kind of take that approach. Every kid's different. So you really have to know who you're talking to and what's going to resonate with them. If your child has any spectrum, autistic spectrum issues. This is not a good analogy. You want to be more matter of fact about it and maybe talk just about the amygdala and the part of the brain that's overreactive because most of the kids I work with who are on the autistic spectrum, they really don't get these analogies or they take them way too literally. And then they're trying to get like the lifeguard out of their head or the dictator out of their head. And it goes sideways pretty quickly. So anyway, so if we're talking about a child who's not on the spectrum, then you might want to say, so your lifeguard is going to be hitting the false alarm all the time. And if you don't react to the false alarm, your lifeguard is going to realize that it's doing a horrible job and it will get replaced. But if you react every time your lifeguard hits the alarm, then it's going to think it's awesome. The brain is going to think it's awesome. And it's going to continue trusting the judgment of the lifeguard. We don't want to trust the judgment of the lifeguard. We want to get rid of the lifeguard. So in order to get rid of him, we need to ignore those false alarms. And so the intellectual part of your brain is going to have to override your lifeguard. So the lifeguard has access to your stomach to make you feel shaky, to make you feel nauseous because it thinks there's an emergency. So it's just pounding on that alarm. And when you pound on that alarm, it causes your heart to raise, but nothing that medically can hurt you. It just doesn't feel good. It can make you nauseous. It can make you throw up. It could do all sorts of that kind of stuff. But you want to tap into your intellectual or your smart part of the brain that says, lifeguard, I know you're making me feel like there's a dire emergency, but there's not. I'm okay. I'm just going to school. There's nothing that's threatening about that. You're just making me feel that way. So that is how I talk to kids about anxiety. And then you want to move in after you say that and you want to say something like, I have a lifeguard that does not always do a good job. So in my practice, when I'm talking to kids and I'm explaining this to them and I draw on the board because everybody who sees me has to be exposed to my really bad drawings. So I'll draw on the whiteboard and I'll draw like a little character that's like messing up and hitting a button all the time. And then I'll say, even I have a really terrible lifeguard and my lifeguard as a kid would always hit the alarm bell and was always wrong. And it wasn't until I was in my forties that I realized that my lifeguard was completely bad. I had to stop listening to the lifeguard and trust my gut that I was okay. Even if alarm bells were ringing and that's what I want to teach you as well. So if you have anxiety, bring you into the example, or if um, your partner has anxiety or other kids in the family have anxiety or your aunt Hilda has anxiety 
bring them in because what you're doing is you're normalizing it. And if you don't have anyone in the family, then you can say, do you know that anxiety is actually more common than kids with diabetes? True story. So there are probably tons of kids in your class that also have a lifeguard that's not doing a great job and they just don't go around advertising it because that's how it goes. So you're normalizing anxiety. And then you can say something like, Hey, let's name your lifeguard. What, what would you like to call it? I do get a lot of resistance from naming. And so you have to gauge with your child, whether that's a good idea or not. So with little kids, we've talked about this before. We'll call it a worry cloud, Mr. Bossy, especially if they have any OCD tendencies, um, Mr. Worry, or like we talked about before, well, in previous podcasts, not like we've had this ongoing discussion, you and I, but well, I've had kids just call it Frank or Bob, just like funny names or something that's relevant to them or characters that they don't like. So name it. My daughter has a dictator. My two little ones have a worry cloud, but lately with my son, because he's been so resistant and we're going to start talking about that in a minute, he's been so resistant to really identifying his anxiety or kind of owning the fact that he has anxiety. He'll always refute it. He'll always have an excuse. So I've moved away from calling it a worry cloud. And lately I've just been calling it anxiety. And it's so funny because this morning I'll tell you what happened in a little while, but we were doing an exposure in the morning related to his food issues, which is more kind of an, of an OCD issue, but we'll talk about it. And I said, you know, your anxiety is making you feel blah, blah, blah. And then he was like, you mean my worry cloud? And I'm like, well, we can call it anxiety. I'm like, what do you want to call it? And he's like, anxiety, worry. I'm like, well, I really don't want to call it anxiety, worry. That sounds really weird, but let's just pick one. But it's funny that he noticed that I wasn't calling it a worry cloud anymore. And I was doing that on purpose because it was not helping him talk about it. So gauge with your child what is the most effective and then go from there. So once your child has a good understanding of what anxiety is, and you've normalized it. So you've said you either you have it, you know, or uncle Bob has it, you know, whatever. Then you want to talk about how to fight it. And I do talk about this in lots of other podcasts, but you say like one of the things that let's just call it something for this podcast. Let's call it dictator for this podcast. Little kids, you wouldn't call it a dictator. They don't even know what a dictator is. So call it something, um, a little bit more kid friendly, but we'll use dictator for this podcast and act like you're maybe talking to someone a little bit older. So you would say, you know, the dictator loves when you deny that it, it exists. And I even said this to my son. I, I tell him this a lot, but it's not helping. I'll say, you know, your worry cloud doesn't want you to recognize that it's there. Your worry cloud doesn't want you to think that it's the worry cloud. It wants you to think it's just you so that you don't try to beat it. And the best way to beat anxiety or your dictator or your worry cloud or whatever you want to call it is to not let it hide. And so we have to talk about what does your dictator make you feel nervous about so that we can beat it. So sometimes that will help. That's like the very straightforward way to one, introduce your child to anxiety two, start opening the conversation in a very blunt, direct way of what are their anxiety themes. Now with my son, he will start to do a lot of physical indicators that he does not want to talk. <laughs> Maybe these are going to sound familiar to you. He's really out of my three children. He's the hardest one to actually get to talk about their anxiety. And so he likes to sit in this huge beanbag that we have in the living room. And normally when I'm talking to him about his anxiety, he will first cover his eyes, which is a pretty blatant indication that he's not okay with what we're talking about. <laughs> and I continue because I'm a bad mom. And then he kind of goes upside down and then he like, he'll kind of hide his face and then ultimately he'll put his hands over his ears. Now I will stop once his hands are over his ears. <laughs> That's terrible. But he would act that way no matter what. He doesn't tell me to stop talking. He just does these physical indicators that are very clear that he's not okay talking. But sometimes we just have to talk about it, especially if it's you know, impacting something that can hurt him, like his weight, because he's not eating. So up next, I want to talk to you about how to talk to your child about their particular anxiety theme 
And if they are not going to talk about it, we'll talk about maybe physical indicators that you can look for that will give you a clue. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Welcome back. So let's talk about some language that you can use to get your child to talk to you about what they are anxious about. So for starters, and I'm pretty sure I've talked about this in other podcasts, you want to say, and if you're in my private Facebook group, or if you've watched anything else I've ever said or done, I say this ad nauseum. So you're not going to be like awed by this next statement. But the best way to figure out what a child is anxious about is to say, what's the worst part about it? I know, super simple, but I use it in my practice and I get so many good answers from that. So let me think of an example to give you so we can walk through it together. Okay, we'll use my kids because I really don't want to use any... um, of the people that I work with. So that's why I use my kids so much, but these are probably examples that you've heard before because I do talk about them a lot. So some of this might be kind of a repeat, but so my oldest daughter, I have talked about this before. Maybe when I talked about social anxiety, she was starting to not want to go out. She refused to, well, refuse is probably too harsh of a word, but she just stopped saying she wanted to go out to eat with us. She didn't want to to go out with the family. And I thought she was a teenager. And so I was like, whatever, you know, that's, that's normal. That's understandable. So then one day, you know, her friends were coming over and they were going to go. And I said, I'll take you out for ice cream. And she's, she kind of looked like a deer caught in headlights. And she was like, no, 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 I don't want to go out for ice cream. So that was the behavior that caused me to figure out, okay, she's obviously anxious about it. Now I could have just been like, okay, she's anxious, whatever. I'm going to let it go. And Maybe I'll just force her to go, or maybe I'll even cheerlead and tell her like, you should face your fears. But doing that without knowing the real reason about what she was nervous about wouldn't be helpful. And so I said to her, well, what's the worst part about going out for ice cream? So you're going to repeat this over and over again in a way that doesn't sound like you're repeating it over and over again until you kind of hit the core because kids will generally give you multiple answers. And you just have to keep going down that rabbit hole until you get to the very, very root of the anxiety. And so she said, I just don't really like going out for ice cream. So normally you're going to get kind of a surface answer from most kids. Um, I mean, there are really good talkers out there and they just tell you exactly what they're anxious about. But if you're having a little bit of a hard time with your child, they might give you, it's boring. I just don't like it. I just want to stay home. It just feels better to stay home. So you're probably going to get an answer like that. So I'm I'm telling you what I do with my kids, but I do this all the time in my practice. I just don't want to use kids that I work with. So then I would say to her, yeah, okay, you don't want to go out for ice cream, but what else is the worst part about it? And she'd say, well, I just don't want ice cream. I just don't feel like it. So we'd go around a, a couple times in that circle. And then I said, okay, but what else is really bad? What's the worst that can happen if we go out for ice cream? And she said, well, I could bump into somebody. Now we're on to something. So even if you know your kid has maybe social anxiety or school refusal, or they're afraid of bad guys, like maybe, you know, the broad thing that's causing their anxiety, it's still really, really helpful to dig deeper and figure out exactly what that flavor of anxiety is, because that's how you're going to teach them to defeat it. The more, you know, the better. So then I would say to her, well, what's the worst thing about bumping into somebody? So I'm not going to end there. I'm going down further into the rabbit hole. And then she said, well, you know, if I see somebody at the ice cream store, maybe I won't know how to like have a conversation. I mean, it'll be awkward. I won't know what to say. So then now I know that there's some social anxiety about, you know, maintaining and starting a conversation. So that's something I can work on with her. And then I said, what else is the worst thing? Let's say you see somebody and you're like, oh gosh, you know, they're so-and-so from school and then they come up to you and then you're talking and you're feeling, oh gosh, I don't know what to say. What else is the worst part about it? So now I'm digging just to make sure I'm at the bottom 
and that I got all of the reasons that her anxiety is high. And then she said, well, while I'm talking to them, what if, because I'm so nervous about what I say, I start to blush. And then they're kind of like, eh, why is she blushing? Why is her face turning that way? And then I'm going to be really embarrassed. So now I'm at the bottom of the rabbit hole. I know she's afraid of bumping into people. I know that she's avoiding public because she doesn't want to bump into people. And not only is that why she's afraid, but she's afraid of that because she doesn't know how to hold a conversation or her anxiety tells her that she doesn't. And she's worried about blushing. So then the two things that we honed in on and we worked on were maintaining a conversation. So we practiced and I said, I know this is going to sound really stupid, but I have the same struggle. Why don't we just pretend I'm like, um, a kid and like, let's go out for breakfast and we'll just practice a conversation. And I talked to her about how you just throw back questions. People ask you to maintain a conversation. And I talked to her about how just talk about other people. People love to hear about themselves, (laughs) you know, and I, because I have social anxiety, I could really help her in that arena, but I wouldn't have known exactly where to hone in on because social anxiety is very broad if I didn't know what her particular triggers were. And then we talked about the blushing and this podcast isn't all about that. I do talk about social anxiety in episode 31. So you can go back and and listen to that as well. I think I have other social anxiety podcast as well. And I'm pretty sure I have some YouTube videos on that too. So anyway, so that gives you an example of how you go down that rabbit hole and figure out what is going on. Keep digging, you know, okay. Yeah. I know going to the ice cream place is really upsetting, but what else is the worst part? So if you're talking to your child and they're afraid to go to bed at night, what's the worst part about going to bed at night? Well, I'm scared. Well, what's, what makes you scared the most? So always add the most. I know that sounds so dumb, but there is a big difference between saying, um, well, you know, what are you scared of? And then I think sometimes kids hear like an accusation in there that they shouldn't be scared. And then if you say, well, what scares you about that? Then there's still that, that tone that says maybe it's dumb to be scared. But when I say to kids, well, what scares you the most about it? It's like, yeah, I'm already recognizing that it's scary. It's okay that it's scary. That's not surprising me. What's the worst part about that? And I know that sounds dumb, but that makes a huge difference in whether kids will talk to me or not. So try that with your kids. But now here's the third part of this whole thing. So we talked about how to talk to kids about anxiety and we talked about how to use language to figure out, go down that rabbit hole and figure out what their anxiety theme is. But what if your kid says there's nothing wrong? I'm not anxious. What if they completely deny their anxiety? I have one of those as well. And that makes it really hard because a lot of times parents will see all of the indicators that their child is anxious. But then when they talk to their child, the child says, I'm fine. So this happened to me. Um, I decided that I would get my son a therapist because my oldest, she doesn't want therapy. She's like, I have you to talk to. She does talk to me and I continue to offer it to her, but she doesn't want it. My littlest, she's doing really good right now. So she doesn't really need therapy. Whenever she has a little sprout of anxiety, I can do it at home. And it seems like it's fine. My son is having, he has a lot of anxiety themes, lots of different things, but it started to impact his eating, which I've talked about before. I think I talked about in my podcast about when it's beyond eating. Let me see what number that is. That was episode 18. When I talk about beyond picky eating, when OCD and anxiety impact eating, very scary stuff. So I I got him a therapist and we've had a few sessions and she would talk to him and ask questions. And I tried to be really quiet and just be like the mom there, which was really hard. And apparently eventually I couldn't do it any longer, but he would tell her that it's not an anxiety and he would, he would pretty much lie. She'd say, you know, do you, do you get nervous about eating? And he would say no. And he just made himself sound so normal. (laughs) I just wanted to wring his little skinny neck because I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I've driven, first of all, it took me forever to find somebody who I thought was skilled enough to see you. And then I drive 45 minutes one way so that you can see them. And then you're going to just sit here and tell her that you have no anxiety. So annoying. So 
when you have a child like that, it's very tricky. So for starters, you start, you want to observe their behavior. So with him, I watch him and I know that's probably annoying for him. (laughs) Most of the time I try to, to do it nonchalantly. (laughs) So he doesn't know, but I really watch for patterns. So pay attention to your child's patterns. I once had a mom in my practice and, you know, I find that this happens more often with boys than girls, but not always, but boys tend to be trickier for me because they don't often or always articulate their anxieties as clearly as girls. Now I've had it in the opposite way where a girl hasn't been very good at articulating and a boy has been phenomenal. So obviously it goes both ways. So don't email me and say, Natasha, that is so not true. I know, but I'm just saying overall. And so this mom had a son and we knew he was anxious, but he would come into sessions. He'd be like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Wouldn't say a thing. So I said, can you just send me an email and just track when he has these meltdowns? Because that's kind of how it would turn. Remember we talked about this too, about how poor behavior and meltdowns can be anxiety and OCD in disguise. That was in episode 30. So she would send me these emails and she'd be like, Natasha, I don't even know why he was freaking out this day. And she'd tell me the whole scenario. And then she'd send me another email. He just flipped out and I have no idea why. And she'd send me the whole email. Well, I, not being his mom and just observing these emails or reading these emails, clearly saw a pattern. Every time this child was put on the spot in public or a scene happened in the public where he was either redirected or what he perceived to be criticized, he would go ballistic. And so it was very apparent that it was some social anxiety, you know, worrying about what other people think. And once I brought that up, you know, and we had like five to 10 examples of situations and in all of them, we could find, if you followed that rabbit hole, you could find that moment where he felt embarrassed. And obviously his level of embarrassment was disproportionate for the situation, but at least we knew what we were looking for at that point. And it was one component of his anxiety that his parents could alter. They could change. They could talk to him about it, even if he denied it. And then they can change how they parented him in public as well. And so it got a lot, lot better. So you want to pay attention to your child's behavioral patterns. And we'll use my son as an example, because why not? So he doesn't really talk about anything. And the only reason why I noticed that he was having an eating issue is because he slowly stopped eating everything and he would make comments. So you want to watch physically, what are they doing? This episode isn't, a, isn't going to be about OCD, it's not about OCD, but it does play into it. And maybe I'll do a whole nother episode just on how to figure out OCD themes, which would be probably really helpful for people who are struggling with OCD. But this is more about anxiety, even though his behavior is now more OCD. So watch their, watch their behavior. Are they avoiding things? You know, like my daughter was not going out and that started to seem unusual. And my five-year-old, we talked about this once, you know, she was flipping out in the bath and she was trying to get out of the bathtub really, really quickly whenever I tried to pull the drain. And it turned out that she was having an episode of being afraid of bugs. When my daughter, my youngest daughter was younger, she would walk around holding her bottom and saying, ow, ow, I don't have to poop. I don't have to poop. (laughs) It was kind of cute. Well, it wasn't at the time though. And she was having major anxiety about toileting. So those were physical and behavioral indicators that there was something wrong. If your child is coming in and out of their bedroom over and over again and coming up with random excuses, you know, I need a drink. I need an extra hug. Oh, I just wanted to see if you guys were still there. But then when you say, are you scared? They're like, no, 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 I'm fine. I just need another drink. Or conversely, they're acting out. This kind of goes back to the episode I was talking about before about oppositional behavior. If they're refusing to do something and they're exploding and having like this really big reaction to a simple request of like, go upstairs and get your shoes or go to bed, or, you know, you're going to go to your friend's house today, or we're going to go over to our relative's house and they completely freak out, or we're going to go to this restaurant and they freak out disproportionate for the situation that's happening. Then you want to take a closer look. So look at patterns of behavior and don't just assume that it is just because they're oppositional or difficult 
And don't believe what they tell you. If they say, I'm bored, or it's just stupid, or you're stupid, or doing that is stupid, because anxiety will talk that way a lot of the time. And they don't want you to maybe realize that it's anxiety. So pay attention to their behavior. And then if they're not going to tell you what is causing their anxiety, but let's say you've paid really close attention and you're like, you know what? They always avoid going upstairs because it's dark or, well, they always seem to get nervous before soccer practice. Then you want to just start asking questions. You don't have to use the word anxiety. Sometimes that puts kids off. And so let's say you have a kid who's really nervous before soccer practice. And then you say to your kid, not about anxiety, but you say to them, yeah, I know soccer practice can be sometimes like not fun. I totally get that. What's the worst thing about soccer practice? See what they say. Go back to that. So you've already observed their behavior. They're doing some avoidant behavior. You can tell maybe that they look nervous before soccer. Maybe they're in the bathroom or they're starting to feel nauseous and you've tried to label it and they've been very negative about it. Then just move into the questions that we talked about earlier in this podcast. First, normalize it. Yeah, I know soccer could be really tough. That's a really important component. And then just be like, what's the worst part about soccer today? You know, and then they might say, well, nothing because kids are so difficult, right? Or they might say, well, it's, you know, it's so long and it's so hot. And then you might say, well, what else is the worst thing about it? And my other favorite question is, if you could change one thing about soccer, like if you were magical and you could just be like, you know what, I'm going to zap this and then it will be perfect. What would that be? What would you zap? I love that question too, because I get a lot of interesting answers and that gives me a lot of insight into their anxiety. And so then if they say, well, I wish I could wear a mask so I didn't have to get my face hit by the ball every time. Now we know that it's an anxiety about being hit by the ball, which by the way, happens to be a very common anxiety with the kids I work with who play soccer. And it's one of those things that wouldn't be necessarily on your radar or basketball. A lot of kids come into my office who have panic attacks when they play basketball because it's an enclosed tight space where a bunch of people are staring at them. And there's a lot of attention on who has the ball and performance anxiety around whether they can shoot. And if they miss, that can be embarrassing for kids with social anxiety. So you kind of want to go down that rabbit hole and just be like, well, what's the worst part about basketball? And then if they're not going to give you anything, which is very, very possible, you want to just move into treatment, home treatment. So if they're not afraid of something, let me try to give you an example. Let's just, we'll go over my, my son's food issue. So he said he doesn't have a problem eating, but he stopped eating. So initially it was because he thought things were alive. And then he thought that the things that he was, were eating was looking down at him from heaven, much more OCD intrusive thought kind of thing. And then he stopped eating pretty much in general, except goldfish and ramen noodles. Not good. Very, very skinny boy, but I couldn't figure out what the current anxiety theme was. I couldn't figure out what the intrusive thought was. And so there is the component, which is pure OCD, which is the food is disgusting. I'm disgusted by food. My food disgusts me. And so I don't want to eat it. And then, so I, we were driving back from the therapist and I got that much from him. And then I kind of played that rabbit hole thing. And I said, besides food being kind of disgusting, you know, what's the worst thing about food? You know, what do you think can happen? What's the worst thing? And he'd say, well, you know, I might get full. And I said, that's true. You might get full if you eat. What's the worst thing about getting full? He said, well, I might feel sick. I'm not going to be, I know I'm not sick because he's always arguing, but I might feel sick. And I said, yeah, you know, feeling sick, is not fun. So I take a moment to validate it. I take a moment to sit with it for a second so that one, he doesn't feel interrogated, although he probably does. And two, that I, like I validate it, like I normalize it. And I say, yep, that's true. That would make me feel bad too. So then I said, yeah, I wouldn't want to feel sick. And I said, what kind of sick do you mean? And he said, well, you know, like, I feel like I want to throw up. I know I'm not going to throw up because that doesn't make any sense. And that's stupid, but that's how I, that's how I feel. And so now I had a lot more good information. I was like, okay, so he's not eating a lot because he doesn't want to feel full. And I also noticed because I just observed his behavior that he was not eating anything that he perceived as unhealthy. So we would have a birthday and I'd put birthday cake in front of him. And I noticed over the last six months, he's not eating the cake 
or um, I'm trying to think one time I was giving him something like a cupcake or a cookie, you know, during a holiday or something. And he said, if I'm going to eat that, I have to have some fruit. So I pay attention to him. Like I am so keyed in to everything he does because I, he doesn't articulate any of his anxiety. So I listened to that and I thought that's a really weird thing to say. So I said, I said, um, what's the best thing about eating fruit after you eat cake? So notice I didn't say, like, why would you want to eat fruit after that? Like, why do you need that? And he could have given me a very normal response, which a lot of times he actually does. And there is nothing to it. So he could have said, oh, I feel like an apple. Like, (laughs) whatever, mom, psycho staring at me, like, go get a life. But he didn't. He gave me a very weird answer. And he said, well, I remember in Montessori that I was always taught if I eat something bad, I have to cancel it out by eating something good. So if I'm going to eat this, I have to eat something good, which sounds like, you know, great advice, good Montessori. But I knew that somewhere, somehow that had turned into more of like an OCD thought. Then I thought back to all the behavior and patterns that I have been observing, which I would recommend you do with your kids. And I realized, oh my gosh, he has insisted on eating fruit with every single meal. So I have to buy like tons of mangoes, tons of pears, apples, oranges, which sounds like a great problem, but it's not when it's a compulsion. And so I realized that's why he needs, he needs to have the fruit to, to counteract or cancel whatever he perceives as bad, which isn't always something obvious. Sometimes he perceives a hamburger as bad um, because he has this shirt that says it's a hamburger and French fries. And it says, um, we're not junk food. I don't even know why it's not really funny, (laughs) but he loves the shirt. But unfortunately, because the the shirt says it's junk food, whenever he has a hamburger, which he doesn't really eat anymore, he would have to eat fruit. So anyway, it's a long story about my son, but I'm trying to show you the example of how I interwove what I was observing in his behavior And what the little things that he was telling me. And sometimes I would approach him sideways and just say, well, what's the worst thing about blah, blah, blah. Or, oh, I wonder, you know, what's great about having fruit with, you know, that cookie or whatever. And then I would get more information. So sometimes you want to be nonchalant with with the intention of figuring out their anxiety, which really helps. Lately, he's been doing this weird thing where he's like having to do the splits. I know that sounds really weird, but it might just be that he likes to do the splits. I don't know, but it seems like it's happening more often. Like we were in the store yesterday and he's like, mom, can I just stop and do the splits? It was a little bizarre. And so he might just be one of those kids who's like, Hey, I know how to do the splits now, which here totally does not. And he probably should not do the splits because <laughs> he can't do it, but I'm paying attention to it. And it's in my back file right now as pay attention. You know, that's maybe not normal. Maybe it's nothing. He also does this thing where he jump ropes, like he does an imaginary jump rope. That could just be a total normal eight-year-old thing. He loves jumping rope, but it may not be. And so I'm not suggesting that you be totally paranoid and like stalk your children, but I'm paying more attention because I know he's got genetically these things going on. He's got anxiety. He's starting to show OCD symptoms, and I'm going to pay more attention than I would if he wasn't showing any of those things. And so that's what you want to do. Now, even if your child doesn't say, this is what I'm anxious about, you can still give them challenges and try to help them fight their anxiety, even if they don't admit that that's their deal. So I'll give you an example with my son. And I know this is probably not your anxiety theme at home because it is more of an OCD thing, but it's all I got right now. And it's, this is getting late because I'm rambling on and on and on, and this is turning into a very long podcast. So I apologize for that. Somebody did say that they wish I would talk longer. (laughs) So this is for you. Whoever said, I can't remember where I read that. I don't know if that was in a review or if somebody posted that somewhere. But anyway, so I'm doing very systematic exposure exercises with my son and I'm trying to get him to eat. I'm trying to get him to eat more so that he can feel full and deal with the nausea. And I'm also trying to get him to disconnect that that irrational thought that says, if I eat something quote unquote unhealthy, I have to counteract it with something healthy. Great belief system, 
if you don't have an OCD and it's a compulsion, right? Just like it's great to wash your hands and keep clean, but if you have to do it a zillion times a day, now that behavior becomes not helpful and not healthy. So I had picked up donuts. We never get donuts, so don't judge. (laughs) But I had picked up donuts yesterday. It's a long story. I'm not going to talk about it. But I got a dozen donuts, and so we had donuts. So this morning, I said to him, do you want a donut for breakfast? And he said, a donut for breakfast? And I said, yeah, you could have a donut for breakfast. I was doing this on purpose because I was triggering his anxiety. And so he said, okay. And so I put a donut out, and then, you know, my other two kids got their donuts because you have to be fair. And then he said, uh, mom, can I have some apple juice with this or some fruit? Well, I know now what the anxiety theme is. He hasn't really fully admitted it because he's still a lot in denial, but I knew exactly what that was, or I thought I did. I wasn't like a hundred percent. I'm like, I was 90% sure. And so I said, well, I ignored the question about the fruit and I said, you can have milk or water. He said, I want apple juice. And I said, no, you can have milk or water. And so I poured him milk. I didn't say anything. And I put the milk over there and then he looked at me and I said, this is when I got a little bit more direct. I said, look, your anxiety is telling you that if you're going to eat this unhealthy donut, that you need to counteract it by eating something healthy, which is fruit. And, and of course, then he pipes in, no, that's not true. I just, I feel like I want to have a, I want to have apple juice. And I said, you need to be honest with yourself because if you keep lying for your anxiety, this is where he got into the little bit of an argument. It's not anxiety. It's my worry. And I'm like, anxiety, worry, whatever. Then it's, we're never going to get rid of it. And so he, he was never going to admit that that's the problem and that's okay. I still moved on. And I said, if you want this to count as your challenge, we call them challenges. And he's got to do five. Well, currently our current challenge is he's one, he wants this really big privilege that I have been against giving him. And so I said, if you want this really big privilege, I won't go into what that is. I said, you have to do 10 challenges in a row, which is very big. And he really wants this privilege. So a motivator definitely helps. And then I said, you are, you can't have fruit because I think that your anxiety wants fruit. And he said, this is when I knew I was completely hundred percent correct. Cause he said, could you just take a drop of apple juice and put it in my milk and then I'll drink my milk well, that's not normal. And who would want to drink milk with a little bit of apple juice, except someone who has a compulsion. So I said, no, you will not earn your challenge. And you have to finish the entire donut. (laughs) Sounds like horrible parenting. You're like, oh my gosh, she was like forcing him to eat a donut in the morning and he wanted fruit. And she said, no, you have to understand OCD, but he did it. And so he earned his challenge. My point is, Uh, once you know what your child's anxiety theme is, you can work on it even if they don't admit it. He's also afraid of getting poked. And so that, that impacts him on a daily basis because he doesn't want his nails clipped. He doesn't want his hair cut. He doesn't want shots, which obviously are understandable. You know, he gets really, really terrified of bees and bee stings and cacti. So any way that he can be poked or by people with fingers. So I wanted to cut his hair a little bit, even though I'm a horrible hairdresser because his hair grows in a really weird, wacky way. And I'm so tired of having to bring him to the hairdresser like two weeks after he just got his hair cut. So I wanted to cut it, but I also wanted to work on his anxiety. So this was the other day. And so I know that he's afraid of poking by his behavior and not by really what he tells me. And then I tell him, you're afraid of being poked. And he says, no, I'm not. And then I give him examples and he doesn't have to admit it. So yesterday, was it yesterday? I wanted to cut his hair, but I knew that we needed to work on this poking thing. And so I had him hold scissors in his hand and then I had him uh, take, they were, they were cutting scissors, but they were pretty dull. And I had him take the top, the tip of it. And I said, let's do a challenge. You know, if, if you're not scared of scissors, then let's just prove to your anxiety that you're not scared of the scissors. So how about you just tap the scissors, the top of the scissors in your hand? And so he was like, I'm not afraid, but he looked afraid and he did it, but it was really scary for him, but he worked through it. And then he said, I'm fine. That This isn't that bad. And so my point in this story, very convoluted, I'm sorry, is that I, I did eventually get to cut his hair, but as I'm doing it, I'm talking about how his anxiety makes him worry that I'm going to cut him. And that's his anxiety lying to him. And he is, he is arguing the entire time that it is not his anxiety while being scared and while I am trying to cut his hair. 
And so your child does not have to admit that they're anxious for you to actually work on it. When he was done, then we reviewed it. And I said, you see your anxiety lied to you. You were okay. And you did fine. And it didn't hurt. And so that's still progress, whether or not he can come out and say, I beat my worry cloud, which he did eventually. He said, you know, yeah, I get nervous about that. So labeling things for your kids. And if you're wrong, they'll probably tell you. But for me to say to him, you're afraid of getting poked. And then yesterday he said, well, scissors are not poking. And so that's not about my poking fear. And I said, yeah, but it's about cutting and getting cut or poked are kind of the same thing. And it goes under the same fear that you have. So I'm constantly trying to highlight and make connections and patterns for my kids so they can understand their anxiety theme so that they can understand themselves better and that we can work on it together. That was a lot. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I talked so long, but I do hope that it helps you and I will stop talking about it now. So I hope you're having a great week and I hope you found some tidbits in how to talk to your own children through my own examples. And if you get a moment If you're enjoying my podcast in general, I would love if you're listening to this on iTunes, if you can hit a star, you don't even have to leave a review. You can just hit a star on how helpful this is being for you. And if you have 30 seconds, leaving a review makes my day. I really appreciate it. There have been some really nice reviews lately, and I do want to give a big thank you to those people that have left reviews recently. Um, Everyone's got weird weird, uh, what do you call those handles names, but, um, Lulu, uh, PD in Miami and Sarah in SoCal and Sarah Lopez. I do appreciate your reviews. They're all read and they're all appreciated and they kind of keep me going and motivate me, but bigger than me and my little ego is that it helps other families read it and say, wow, this might be a good podcast because it's so hard to find a good podcast. I know when I'm trying to find my own entertainment, I find it really hard to find podcasts that resonate and that I can listen to all the time. So your reviews help other parents say, this might be worth my time. If you want to see me in other places, go visit anxioustoddlers.com and you can check out my YouTube channel as well, or just my website or my private Facebook group. So I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do, and I will talk to you next week. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.